Hello, and welcome to This Thing Called Life, a podcast dedicated to sharing stories about acts of giving, kindness, compassion, and humanity. Your host, Andy Johnson, will introduce you to powerful stories about organ, eye, and tissue donation from individuals, families, and healthcare teams whose experiences will inspire you and remind you that while life is hard, unpredictable, and imperfect, it's also beautiful. We are so happy you're here. Now, let's join the show. Welcome to This Thing Called Life. I'm your host, Andy Johnson, and thank you so much for listening. As we finish up our series, The Donation Process Through the Lens of the OPO, where we've explored how the donation process works, the different departments and people involved within the organ procurement organization, or the OPO, I have two additional guests uh, that will be joining us to talk about what they do within the OPO. And so I'm excited to have my first guest with me today, who's going to talk about his new role at Life Center. But before we dive into that, I just want to remind you, you know, we've talked to people in every department as each one plays a critical role in the donation value chain. And you can check out those episodes on our website at lifepassiton.org or wherever you listen to your podcasts. As an OPO, we work with so many different entities to facilitate donation. It takes a community, a community of hospitals, hospice staff, where, you know, where patients pass away, the transplant centers, where organ transplants occur for patients who, quite frankly, are on the brink of death and need life-saving organ transplants. The OPO, that's us, who facilitates the recovery of organ, eye, and tissue. The United Network of Organ Sharing, or UNOS, which houses the transplant list. The tissue processors who provide tissue to various medical practices for transplant. And then there are also other entities, including the coroner, um, sometimes involved, depending on the manner of death. And then, of course, the funeral home, who the OPO also works very closely with. The bookends of this whole process is the people, the people who designate themselves to be a donor and their family who may have made the decision. This life-saving and life-changing gift begins with yes. So our purpose, as I've said before, our purpose of the series is twofold. We want to explain more about the OPO's role and functionality so that you know how the gifts of organized tissue donation come to be and the intricacies of this life-saving and life-healing process. And secondly, if you're considering a career change, maybe you're feeling that pull, that tug to move into something that maybe has more meaning, um, is meaningful to you, or you want to be in a place where you truly can give back, then this is a place for you. So we want you to learn more about the different roles um, and how this all works. So this really is an opportunity for you to learn about every aspect of the donation value chain. So with that, I'm so excited to introduce my guest today. He is new to Life Center, but not to the OPO world. His name is Matt Niles, and he is the Chief Operations Officer at Life Center, and he's my new boss. So hello, Matt Niles. How are you? Good morning, Andy. <laughs> it is great to be with you today. Great. I'm, I'm so glad that you were able to sit down with me and just, you know, talk about your background in organ procurement and just, I mean, you've been in the field for quite a while. So why don't we start there? 
what led you into this into this work? I've been working in the donation field since 2001, actually, but prior to that is what really led me into this field. I'm from a very small rural town in Pennsylvania, and my family was very big on volunteerism. Mm -hmm. And I volunteered in our small community hospital uh, when I was in junior high school. And at the age of 14, I saw a pamphlet on organ donation in the hospital. And my 14-year-old school of thought was, I don't need my organs anymore when I'm gone. Mm -hmm. I should give them to someone who does. And Mm -hmm. so that pamphlet had a organ donor card in it. Mm -hmm. And I took that pamphlet home that evening and talked about it with my parents and I signed that donor card and my parents witnessed it, obviously not legally binding. I was 14 years old, but that's still my same school of thought today is that I don't need my organs and tissues anymore when I'm gone. I should give them to someone who does. And that kind of started the chain of leading me where I am today. Well, that's awesome. So you have been with Life Center how long now? (laughs) (laughs) About three months. Okay. And so like a full 90 days. Mm -hmm. So so you've, you had an interesting path to get here. You've, you've been really, you've been in a lot of different roles within the different OPOs that you've worked, ultimately bringing you here as the chief operations officer. Talk about what it is that you do in that role here at Life Center. And you're probably still trying to figure your way out and that's okay. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. <laughs> yeah, I'm still, I still have a lot to learn about Life Center and the Cincinnati regional community. So I'm very much in a, a learning mode right now. Um, but my goal is to prepare us for the future and bring us into the next generation, prepare us for all the changes that are happening in our industry. When you look at donation and transplant, it's a relatively new field. It's Mm -hmm. only been around about 40 years. Mm -hmm. And so there are lots of innovations and changes that are happening in our field every day. Mm -hmm. And so we need to stay ahead of those to be prepared for our future and ultimately to try to eliminate the deaths on the national transplant waiting list. Right. Absolutely. And I think you touched on a really good point. You know, we're, you know, we're kind of in an unprecedented time with donation and the donation community, but it's also, I feel like a great opportunity for us to help save more lives and really do that. And so that's a big part of why you're here to really just kind of help us achieve that vision um, to, to be better, to be a better service to the community. So what does that mean for you to really be leading that, one of the leaders in that? Well, I'm very humbled and honored to be to be here and to be able mm-hmm. to do that. And, you know, I, I do this being a donor family. And I have um, some friends that have received transplants. I've had a friend who passed away in the national transplant waiting list, and I'm a donor family. So it's something that's unbelievably personal mm-hmm. and passionate to me. Mm-hmm. It is my life's work, and I am truly honored and privileged to be here. But mm-hmm. as you said, our goal is to try to eliminate that wait list. And that's what we strive to do every single day. You know, right. we can't have organ transplantation without organ donation. We right. got to have someone to give in order that someone can receive. Um, And also we can't have organ transplantation without death. And so it is an honor and privilege to be part of a team that guides these families through that process. Mm -hmm. 
So what departments do you oversee here at Life Center besides mine? Yeah. So, <laughs> so Andy's uh, beautiful department of community relations and our amazing aftercare program yes. that we have, which is just so important to our donor families. Those letters that are written, are, I know our donor families truly, truly cherish them and they mean so much to them mm-hmm. and all the support that they have that we provide to our donor families is so vitally important on their grieving journey. Right. And so I oversee uh, those departments. I oversee our clinical departments. Mm -hmm. So on the tissue side, our call center, our staff that calls and provides the opportunity of tissue and eye donation to our families, as well as our tissue recovery teams. Mm -hmm. And then on the organ side, I oversee our family services department, the ones that are providing the opportunity of, of organ and tissue donation to families in the hospital. And then our donation coordinators, the ones that are guiding that process and uh, allocating the organs to the recipient centers. So you have quite a task in front of you. I mean, the with uh, organ and tissue, those are the two biggest departments within Life Center and very critical, obviously, to what we do every day. So what expertise do you feel like you're bringing to the table here in your new role? Well, I'm a donor family from, I'm a tissue donor family. My grandfather passed away and and my grandmother was provided the opportunity to provide a legacy. Mm -hmm. And my grandfather was a cornea donor. And that letter that my grandmother received, she truly cherished. And that really helped my whole entire family realized that, you know, when there was no more hope for him, mm-hmm. that he could provide hope to someone else. Mm-hmm. And that really was a very powerful message to my entire family. And then, you know, I never lose sight of that being a donor family or those people that are on the national transplant waiting list. If we keep our donor families and the people that are waiting at the center of our decision-making and at the, as our main focus, mm-hmm. it's really hard to go wrong. That's your why. Absolutely. That's why we do this every single day. I absolutely agree with that. So you've, what I find just very interesting and just in getting to know you is that you bring this, I mean, yes, you've been in the OPO world, right? But you bring this experience and perspective because you're still new to us. And so I think it's, you know, just the, the talks that we've had and just the different ideas and perspectives that you share, I think it's really, really helpful for us as an organization to have that outside perspective so that we're not kind of caught in this group think mentality. And so I think you've been really, really good about challenging us in some different areas and how we can grow and perhaps look at things a little differently. And so I think that that's been amazing. Yeah, I look at things from a couple different perspectives, of course, that of a donor family, um, but also as an ICU nurse and ER nurse. And I've had the opportunity to care for donors at the bedside. And as a clinician, being part of that process when the OPO comes in and provides the opportunity of donation to that family and working with the OPO, uh, managing that donor and being part of that process was really awe-inspiring. And Mm -hmm. I was a new ICU nurse when I had the opportunity to care for a donor and their family. And I found it just so inspiring how much dignity and respect they treated the donor with in the donor family. And I thought, you know, I really want to do this someday. Fast forward, you know, a few years, I started working in the OPO community. I started out as a donation coordinator at the OPO based in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was there for five and a half years. Mm-hmm. And it was truly an honor and privilege to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. I decided I wanted to, go, wanted to go back to grad school and couldn't do that working at the OPO at the time. Mm-hmm. And 
so I uh, matriculated to one of our large donor hospitals and was the director of the medical ICU and the dialysis units. Oh, so um, you've been on both sides. Yes. Yeah, so on the, hos- yeah, on the hospital side, but I feel like I never left when I left the OPO, I never felt like I left donation. Mm-hmm. Um, I was chair of the hospital's donor committee meetings. I, being in the director of the critical care units, I we had a lot of organ donors in our ICUs. And so I helped to be part of that process. And after I finished grad school, I had the goal of coming back into the OPO world. Mm-hmm. And so that's exactly what I did. I uh, accepted a position as a director of clinical services at the OPO wash- based in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. and spent almost a decade there working with the OPO, overseeing all the clinical departments and education departments. And then I had the opportunity to uh, come to Cincinnati and mm-hmm. jumped at the chance to work with Barry and the teams here at Life Center. How do we compare to DC? <laughs> How does it, Cincinnati compare to it DC? It is so very different in every best way possible. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's that's a good thing. Yeah, it is. It's okay, a very good, good thing. And I'm I'm trying to learn the Cincinnati region and embracing the wonderful culture here and am really excited to be part of the city and learning about it. Well, we're we're excited to have you here. What's a typical day for COO Matt Niles at Life Center? Well, we start off with our phone call every morning. We do a a clinical phone call every morning. We talk about the opportunities that we have going on in the region. And so I I participate in that phone call. And then I come in the office and meet with the clinical teams, meet with all of our teams on a a weekly basis, Mm -hmm. keeping abreast of everything that's going on, and then trying to prepare us for growth and prepare us for the future and the changes that are happening in our industry. Mm -hmm. What would you say, what would you say to someone in the community who, who says, you know what, I know that if I'm a registered donor, they're going to kill me for my organs because we do hear that. Mm -hmm. What would be your response to that person? And so I think it's always important to acknowledge and validate that and Absolutely. understand, you know, I hear what you're saying, but that is not the truth. Hospitals, I, I worked in hospitals for many years. And as a clinician, we wanted every patient to get better mm-hmm. in working in an OPO. We still want patients to get better, but if they can't get better and there's an opportunity for donation, then the family and the patient have a right to know about that. Mm-hmm. And no one is killing anyone for their organs. We want them to get better. Um, And the hospital does everything in their power to do everything they can to save their life or their loved one's life. Can you say that one more time? The hospital does everything in their power to save their loved one's life. Absolutely. A hundred percent of the time, you know, in order to be an organ donor, the majority of the time you have to be in the hospital, in the ICU, and on a ventilator. And if the hospital hasn't done all those things to try to save you, you're never going to have the opportunity for organ and tissue Mm -hmm. donation down the road. Mm -hmm. Thank you for clarifying that. I think it's just, it's important that, you know, we talk about these things, but I also appreciate the fact that it is our responsibility to validate, you know, listen to those concerns, Mm -hmm. but also provide the truth. Absolutely. You know, know, there's so many myths and misconceptions in healthcare in general. And then you add something like donation and transplant into the mix and the myths and misconceptions just abound. And it's part of our responsibility to break those down and tell those powerful truths, break down those myths and misconceptions while still acknowledging and validating them, but also providing education so families can make the right decision for them. Absolutely. So, 
What do you find most challenging about your role and about just the state of Oregon procurement today? Our work is never done. You know, mm-hmm. there is a huge national wait list of people that are waiting for us to do the best work we can. And that's what we strive to do every mm-hmm. single day. Our work is never done. At two o'clock in the morning, there's someone on that wait list who's struggling with their health. Mm-hmm. And their only opportunity is for them to receive a life saving organ transplant. And so we have to strive every single day, 24 hours a day, to do everything we can to provide them with a life-saving organ transplant. And we have to do everything we can every day to honor our donors and our donor families, breaking down those myths and misconceptions, Mm -hmm. encouraging people to register as a donor hero on their driver's license or state ID, and then providing education in our communities. And then when we're in the hospital, um, doing everything we can to honor that donor and the amazing gift they're going to give. Absolutely, beautifully said. It really feels like in so many ways, like your path was determined at 14, which I find so interesting. And then coupled onto that, just your parents and just what they have like fed into you in terms of that importance of volunteering. It's okay. Yeah. (laughs) I know you get. (laughs) I'm very close to my family. Yeah. And Um, I love that though. But it just, as you're talking, it's like you were destined to be in this role. No. And I, I truly believe that. It's an honor and privilege to do this work every day. I never lose sight of that. We can never lose sight of the donor and the grieving family at the bedside. And we can never lose sight of those people that are waiting on the national transplant waiting list. That is our focus every single day. And I'm grounded by an amazing family and circle of friends who Mm -hmm. I adore and I'm very, very close with and that guided me to be where I am today. Yes. Well, it's it's very evident just how you show up every day. So thank you for that. What would you say to a listener who wants to do what you do, wants to be a COO? What advice would you give to them? Well, I certainly didn't come into this wanting to be a COO. Mm-hmm. I came in with wanting to do the best work I can, mm-hmm. could, as an ICU nurse, as an ER nurse, as my background, and then as a donation coordinator. I try, I strive every single day to do the best work I can. And then I took advantage of the opportunities that came to me and like the uh, opportunity to speak with you and your mm-hmm. listeners today. It, mm-hmm. it is really exciting to be here and to share my story and my piece of the puzzle the work we do every day. Yes, very important. Anything else you want to add? You know, I encourage people to get the information and the facts on donation, break down those myths and misconceptions in your community, in your family, and understand those powerful truths that we talk about. You never know when it's going to be you or your loved one, your husband or wife, your child that's in need. And like I said, we can't have organ transplantation without organ donation. We got to have someone to give in order that someone can receive. And you never know when it's going to be you or your family member that's in need. And when you are in need, you truly hope that someone will be there to help you. Absolutely. That's just to me, like humanity 101, like we need to help each other. And what what a more, like there's no other, to me, better way than being able to extend, give someone else life when we're no longer here and doing it that way or mobility or eyesight or those other, you know, other important things that help us every day. 
And when my family donated, we saw it as a tribute to the way my grandfather lived his life. And it is a legacy that lives on through him and his recipients, uh, but also our entire family. Mm -hmm. When we look back on that day, when he passed away, his story didn't end there. He didn't just die. He died. And then he gave this most beautiful gift Mm -hmm. that helped someone in need. Mm -hmm. And we are truly honored to say that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That was beautifully said. So thank you again for being on the show. And, you know, I close out the show with just a reminder today, 104,398 men, women, and children need a life-saving organ transplant. And 21 of them will die today because the organ they needed was not available. What can you do? What can our listeners do to help? If you're not registered, as Matt talked about, you can seek out the information, you can seek the truth, you can do your research and learn what being a donor truly means. You can also speak with a medical professional or someone who's gone through the experience as either a donor family member, a recipient, or a living donor. And if you've thought about registering to be an organized tissue donor, do it today. Visit lifepassiton.org or registerme.org. There's also an option for many people to be living kidney donors, which is a tremendous way to help a fellow human being in need of a life-saving kidney transplant. And this is especially important because the vast majority of people on the national wait list, almost 90,000, need a life-saving kidney transplant. Let me say that again. Almost 90,000 people in this country need a life-saving kidney transplant, living kidney donation is another way to help fellow human beings. I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank Matt again for being with us today and just sharing his why. And I just want to remind everyone to please be kind to yourself and to others. Take care. This episode is brought to you by LifeSetter. Are you interested in saving someone's life by becoming a living donor? You have the potential to help save and enhance the lives of others, those who suffer from chronic illness or the effects of traumatic events. Statistics have shown that a new name is added to the national waiting list every 10 minutes. You have the opportunity to help others and save lives. You have the power to donate life. By offering a kidney or a portion of the liver, living donors offer their loved one or friend an alternative to waiting on the National Transplant Waiting List for an organ from a deceased donor. Today, the number of living donors is more than 7,300 per year, and one in four of these donors is not biologically related to the recipient. Go to Life Pass It On for more information. Thanks to Life Center for their continued support. Thank you for listening to This Thing Called Life. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcast to make sure you get updates on all new episodes. And we would truly appreciate it if you would share, like, or give us a review to help us grow.